0: But when you look at the tops, you get the length of the longest two points on each side. And so a lot of times those two points are 15 to 20 inches each. So let's say they're 15, we're getting 30 per side. So 60 inches out of the top points. Plus you get the width of the beam on the top as well. Plus you get the number of points on the top one inch per point. You don't get to measure all the points. You only get to measure the longest two, but you get one inch per point. They're so fun to hunt because their antlers are incredible. If you like antlers, you'll Love Caribbean. Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin, and I'm here with Logan Larson and Albert Jefferson, a couple of fellow Utah boys who are heading to Alaska on a caribou hunt. Uh, how you guys doing?
1: We're doing pretty good. I'm
0: doing great. Yeah, you guys uh we've been we've been just before the call here we've been sharing some like do you know people and we have a lot of people in common and and uh we gotta we gotta get together some someday boys but it'll be good to get to know you guys today we're gonna do something a little bit different today um we're going to have uh a discussion about caribou hunting like this is your first caribou hunt right guys Correct. Yes. Okay. And uh, have you been to Alaska before?
2: I've been there, but for fishing, not for
1: hunting.
0: For not not for hunting. Okay, so we, we can have like just a a, a pretty killer talk here because I've I've done quite a bit of uh, like a massive amount of caribou hunting. I've done a lot of DIY caribou hunting in Alaska. And I've done a lot of just general hunting in Alaska by myself and guided. So like we can have a pretty cool discussion here. We decided to do this a little differently. Hoyt wanted these guys to actually ask me some questions and we can kick around some different concepts and, and ideas about how to DIY hunt in Alaska and maybe caribou in specific. But I think, I think this could be a lot of fun. So uh, that being said, why don't you guys kick it off? What what are some of the things you're wondering about? Like, you know, you're going to. He, are you getting dropped
2: by a bush plane or we're, we're on the Dalton highway up by dead horse, Alaska.
0: Ah, okay. Awesome. Awesome. So that's that that's, that's the highway where you cannot rifle hunt within five miles of the road.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay. That'll be killer. Are you guys renting a truck in Fairbanks or something and heading out?
2: Yep. Flying into Fairbanks, renting a truck and doing that 12 hour drive or whatever it is out there.
0: Oh, that sounds. I've won. I've never done that hunt, so I'm. I'll be curious to hear. I, I have friends who've done it. and It's it's gone well. So so cool. Well, that that's great. So what what are some of the things that you you're? I mean, that hunt specifically I haven't done obviously, but but let's talk about just general stuff for Alaska and caribou. I
2: think one of the questions uh, I think off the bat has been I think on both of our minds. What's a good broadhead to use for a caribou um, archery hunting?
0: Yeah, cool. So my philosophy on broadheads is the bigger the animal, the smaller the head you want. The smaller the animal, the bigger the head. And that beca- that is because of penetration. So if I'm hunting a bison, it's not a game of accuracy. The thing is a 24-inch kill zone. It's a game of penetration. So I don't need a mechanical broadhead and to be ultra, ultra accurate because I can hit a 24-inch kill zone with a fixed blade broadhead. It's not, but what I want is to make sure, no matter what, I hit a rib, whatever, that that thing is going to penetrate. So that it, on a bison, I shot a very small fixed blade broadhead because I is just for sure I'm going to hit it in the lungs. I just need to make sure it goes through both of them, and it's going to die. Um, now on a on a white tail, let's say, uh, kill zone is pretty small, and you know they move a lot and they're jumpy, and uh, I mean white tail you don't typically take longer shots but let's say on a mule deer or a coos deer you know again smaller animals you're taking longer shots so accuracy becomes really important and so i like a mechanical because they're just flat out more accurate and i like a lot of cutting diameter because it is a small kill zone if i hit a little back a little high a little low i want a bunch of cut i want as much trauma as possible so on white on deer i'm shooting like a two inch mechanical Cause I want massive trauma and I want good accuracy. Now, if we go into caribou, they're more middle of the road. So I, I sort of draw the line at elk where I might switch to a fixed blade and I've gone, I've done both on elk. And honestly, I keep a two inch mechanical, an inch and three eighths mechanical and an inch and one sixteenth fixed blade in my quiver at all times on every hunt, all three of those broadheads. And given the shot, I may grab a different arrow. Every one of those arrows for me group together. I have them all, uh, my bows tuned to the point where my inch and 16th fixed groups right with my field point groups, right with my two inch cut mechanical. Now on the caribou, because it's middle of the road, I'm going to shoot an inch and a half mechanical on a caribou because they're not, they're not, anything like an elk inside. I mean, they're big, but, but they're not that big and they don't have a bone structure and even the toughness of an elk. So I want more cutting diameter. Uh, accuracy is extremely important on caribou. I personally, and this is just my opinion, I would never shoot a fixed blade on a caribou hunt because you're dealing with long shots and you're dealing with wind. And when it's freaking windy and you got a fixed blade broadhead and you're trying to shoot 75 yards, that is a terrible combination. So I wanted a sleek mechanical and I like, I like cutting diameter. So I know it's a long answer and, but that, what are you guys' thoughts? What are you, what are you planning?
2: Um, we're looking to like the Grim Reaper, like pro series. I think it's the 1603 style yep. Um, mechanical. Yep. the engine three eight. So that's kind of what we had leaned
0: towards the engine three eights Reaper.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. And so that's what we what we've kind of leaned. I
0: more animals with that head than any other head
2: so hopefully we have good success with it
0: i think you will i think that's a great choice it's a nice cutting diameter you're still going to get a ton of penetration it's very accurate in the wind i think you're really gonna like that choice one thing guys about a caribou if you in my experience if you hit a caribou anywhere in the body cavity it's going to bed like within a few hundred yards They just don't clear out. Like, I don't know if you Nick them in the leg or something, even then guys, honestly, I, I, I hit a caribou once through the front leg and it went like 350 yards embedded and you get another opportunity. And when you bump them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do that exact same thing again. So just like don't panic if you if your shot's a little off and you hit them in the body cavity, just get to a vantage point or you know slowly follow them. They're going to bed and you put another stock together and you finish
1: the job. That's good.
2: That'll be good. Um, so I guess I, another question. I have a
0: buddy, by the way. I have a buddy who who arrowed a, a 400 inch mountain caribou, a freaking mm-hmm. monster, and he made a little bit of a bad shot and it went out there embedded and, and the guide handed him a rifle and he blasted it. And then we had this talk and he's like, no, he's like, I could have stalked that thing like five times. Like, yeah, you could have. Definitely.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I know that's been a little bit of our worries as we've been talking and practicing shooting and stuff is like, man, we got to make sure we got like a pinpoint shot um, just so we don't look for a caribou for hours. Um, I imagine that country that kind of gives you a little bit of comfort. Not that yet really open. Like I imagine it's, Yeah. I don't think there's much out there. It's just kind of the, my understanding is that that little rolling tundra that you're just kind of wide open. Yeah. You're going to be good. Yeah. So what would you say is, is, is uh, too far of a shot to take on a caribou with that kind of setup?
0: Yeah. So this just really depends on, on your experience and preparation on shooting long distance. You know, I mean, I've, I've like, I, the last caribou I killed was at 75 yards. And I've, I've, I've taken, I've taken shots, um, I've taken and made shots a little bit longer than that too. So, but I don't think like, okay, so if I'm, if I'm like, I'll go the the complete opposite end of the spectrum. If I'm taking my 13 year old daughter on an archery caribou hunt on her first bow hunt, she's going to shoot 25 yards and under like no question. So now that there's a big range there right so you got to know that you're very very comfortable putting arrows you know where where you can consistently put arrows in a 7 8 inch group that's probably your limit i would guess
1: okay
0: i mean that you know that's the way i see it like i don't think i don't think like the, you know old school you know, Hey, don't ever shoot over this yardage. I do not believe in that. Like everybody is different. I mean, I, I, there, there are guys on this planet who shoot better at one twenty than I shoot at 80. They, they, the professional there's, they're freaking insane shooters. And like, if, if, and I know a couple of these guys who will literally kill an antelope at 115 yards, And like do it consistently. And Hey, that's their thing. That's their choice. I'm not going to judge if they feel, and and obviously they have the skills to back it up, you know, it's their right to make that choice. So where you guys feel comfortable? I don't know. I, I will say the wind is a big factor guys in that country the wind cuts your range dramatically what you can shoot in your backyard on a perfectly beautiful sunny day with a light and variable three and three mile per hour wind is totally different than when it's blowing 35 on that tundra like it, it like when it's blowing 35 like you, you, all of a sudden your range now is 30 yards yeah it, it it's it can be very frustrating but that's just that's just how it is
2: I think we I think we've picked some of the days where it's blowing and storming the last couple of weeks and we try to go out and shoot knowing that we're probably gonna nice. run into awesome. the wind and play Good with the while we're shooting. So it that doesn't that suck? <laughs> it it's it's crazy how much the wind, just a little breeze, you know, even keeps you wobbling on that target a little bit and really yeah. makes you think, man, if this is a caribou in front of me and I'm staring at it and it's looking at me or something, am I going to be able to make that shot? You know, when it actually counts. So,
0: yeah, dude, good for you guys for doing that. Cause I do that occasionally and I honestly hate it because it's no fun to shoot in the wind. It's like all this extra work and your group sizes increase. So you feel like crap, but it is so important. And you know, like I normally shoot back tension, for example. I not with a back tension, but I use back tension with the trigger. But I can't do that in the wind. In the wind, I got to punch it. And so, like knowing things like that, you know, like I shoot more accurately in the wind, just letting her go. You know, and so it's, it's definitely awesome. That's so cool. You're doing that.
1: Well, our next question is: um, This is perfect one for me. This is what you really need to know is. Best waterproof gear, like jackets, pants, gloves, boots, whatever. Yeah. I'm like a cat, a little bit of rain. I'm, I'm just like shivering and I'm gone.
0: (laughs) You made out of sugar, huh? I am. Dissolving the rain. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good companies out there making great rain gear. I, I've always been of the opinion that your three most important pieces of gear, um, are boots, rain gear, and backpack those three are, they can, it can ruin a hunt. If you don't have those three lined out, um, everything else is like, well, you know, you can make it work. Um, as long as you're not like bringing a bunch of cotton or something where when it gets wet, it never dries. And it's just like sucking the heat out of you, but any type of synthetic is fine. Um, but you know, I, so I personally, I use Kuyu gear, um and so i know their rain gear really well so you could apply this philosophy to other other uh brands but kuyu has like three different weights of rain gear uh, they have the yukon which is the heaviest most durable and also the most quiet and then they have the kutana which sits in the middle it's pretty durable and pretty quiet and then they have the chugach which is the lightest lightest And it's not as durable and it's a little bit noisier because it, you know, it's just like basically just the membrane, you know, doesn't have that tough outer shell on it. So I, like if I'm hunting out of a truck and I'm day hunting, I'm going to take the heaviest, quietest, most durable because I'm not backpacking it. I would take the Yukon in that case or the Kutana would work also, but I definitely wouldn't take the Chugash if it's me and I'm going to hunt the whole road and, you know, out of a truck. So, um, I, I think that, um, you know, if I'm backpacking though, I'm taking the Chugach. If I'm on a sheep hunt, I'm taking the lightest, you know, I, I have to carry that around everywhere. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm sheep hunting in August. I'm probably not going to be wearing it every day, all day long. You guys might be, you know, especially like the Yukon pant is so nice to hunt in like it, it's like a regular pant. it's durable it's not that loud like when you're crawling around and you're getting wet constantly it's just nice i wear that thing moose hunting or elk hunting sometimes too or or like black bear hunting on the coast you know i'll be on certain hunts where i'm wearing that pant all day long every day as my pant uh but i wouldn't want to do that with like a lighter louder rain pant so so i would on your hunt i would go with something a little bit heavier and more durable than the lightweight backpack versions of rain gear.
1: Perfect.
2: What's your, um, what's your favorite pack to use? If you, you know, we have five miles to hike out off the, off the road. What's your favorite pack to use if you have to, you know, haul a load and maybe if you're taking a camp out with you.
0: Yeah. Great question. Like, so again, I'll go back. I have worn quite a few different packs, but I'll go back to Kuyu because that's what I've been wearing for quite a few years now. Um, do you guys wear any QE cool stuff?
1: We got the I got the reindeer and some the some of the pants for it. Okay. So, cool. So cool.
0: Um and if you did get the lightweight reindeer, that's gonna work fine. Right. I got the Yukon. Oh, did you? Good, good, good choice. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that was good news then. So on the pack, I like having a frame. These little these day packs that have kind of like a, a you know, some kind of like stays like vinyl, like a little bit of a frame inside of them. I really, I just haven't been that comfortable carrying those. I feel like they pull a lot on my shoulders. And, you know, when I load up a long day of gear on a hunt like that, you know, my pack's probably going to weigh 25, 30 pounds. And there's a lot of times I'm going to strap my bow to it. And, and it's, it's going to be heavy. So I want like a nice pack. I, I like the the pro frame packs and I might put a smaller bag on it, but really ultimately with the compression and everything, why not just take like the 7,000 LT bag weighs like nothing. You put it on the frame pack. And when you go out in the morning, if you don't have very much gear, you just compress it. You know, you put straps on it, you tighten those straps and then your pack's not that big. So it's not like the bag's really that heavy, especially in that LT series. But I, I do like, so with a frame, you can properly size the pack and to size a pack, you, you center your hip bones on the hip belt and you have the frame high enough so that the load lifter straps, those are the straps that go between the top of the frame and the top of your shoulder strap. You want those at a 45 degree angle. And what that does is it makes the load go to your hips. And it's just very comfortable to walk around all day. But when you get these day packs, like you don't have the ability to have the load lifter strap, like pulling the load off your shoulders. And so you end up like with really sore shoulders carrying around this day pack with too much weight. I would rather, once I'm at like 25 pounds, I want a frame pack. I don't want to be screwing at the day pack, especially if I'm hiking a bunch. That's Mm -hmm. my opinion. I take the full pack. And then plus when you're carrying out loads, man, that frame dude, trust caribou, by the way, they are really something to back out. Like it, I've, uh you know, especially like the bigger, I, I don't know how big those caribou are. They're more of a tundra caribou, they're not like the size of a mountain caribou, but like a mountain caribou when you're pulling them out of the mountains, it is a massive undertaking. Like several guys with several very, very heavy loads. And you could never accomplish that with the day pack.
1: So we I ended up with uh the mystery ranch, the bear tooth. Yeah, uh-huh. Good pack. And Yeah. It seems like it got really good reviews and stuff like that. So I was, that's the one, I don't know the exact model, but that's like their frame pack, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds quite similar to the QU. I watched one episode on hunting fools. I think they're called. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think if I remember correctly, um, between the QU, your pack and the mystery ranch was their top choices. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a
0: guide last year in Oregon who had that pack and I wanted to feel it. So we switched for a a hike in and it felt very similar and it felt really good. Yeah. Cool. Well, what else?
2: Um, so say for instance, if we are going to hike in a ways and maybe we're going in a little bit in the on the dark side of things, um, what's a good way to like strap your bow on your pack Yeah. To where it rides comfortably, you're not worried about hitting it off anything, you know, bumping your sight, doing anything to affect your ability to shoot.
0: Yeah. So um, let's, so it's going to be pretty easy for you guys because you're not in steep, bushy country. So you guys just, I I just avoid the strings and cables and strap across the riser in two locations. And so I, I take the straps from the frame. Cause there'll be straps that tie into the frame. And I, those are like your compression straps that you're going to use to compress the pack. But I, I like, I don't like having like a loose bag and then my bow strap to the bag. And it's just like kind of loose or it just depends on like how full the bag is. I want my bow tied to the frame because then it doesn't like smooth, like a shifting load will like the 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 amount of fatigue you feel when you're load shifting is a lot higher than a stable load. So like you have a 40 pound pack with a shifting load compared to a 40 pound pack that's just rock solid. You're not gonna get nearly as tired. And so I like, I I like taking from the frame, going around the bow back to the frame. And I just find two spots on, I usually go across the handle, the grip of the bow. And then that would be, that would be the top location. So it's below the sight and rest. The one that top strap is below the sight and rest, and it goes across the grip. And then the next one hits just somewhere in the riser, in the lower riser. That's where those two straps hit. At least on my Kuyu pack, I'm sure most are about the same. Mm -hmm. But I don't want like those straps going across my rest or my sight. So when the I don't feel like my my rest and sight have never moved, just getting smashed against the bag. But I've never like. Ran a strap across my sight and crank that strap down. I feel like that would be risky.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: and I don't like strapping across my strings either. I, I put the strap under the strings, over the riser, and then around the back. And I crank them. I crank them freaking tight because I don't like my load shifting. Now, when you get into, I'll just throw this out there because you know the listeners may may care uh, because there's a variety of hunts. When you get into steep, bushy country. You always want to secure your arrows, like take elastic, some type of like, you know, like the little wristband elastics, like whatever, strong or whatever, white wristband or whatever they are, and like take those and like wrap them over your arrows to hold your arrows on tight. Because I, I've, I've been on a goat hunt. Once I got up to the top of the mountain, I had two out of six arrows left. <laughs> As you <laughs> caught good. in the bush and you you're, you have no idea.
2: You're just dropping um, arrows randomly all over yeah. there.
0: Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, ex- I was a mountain goat outfitter for 17 years. And in the beginning we had so many hunters lose their arrows. But now we've quickly figured out we're duct taking, duct tape, <laughs> taping those suckers to the quiver. And I, I now use like wristbands. The other thing you want to be careful of is in steep country, which you're not, but just for just general, if you're hiking downhill, you're gonna fall backwards onto your butt, especially like in in the steep, ugly, wet bush, you are going to fall. And you do not want your cam getting pounded. So when I'm hiking downhill, I make sure that my cam is several inches above the bottom of my pack when I tie the bow on. But the opposite is true on the way up. On the way up, my bow is gonna be getting caught on all kinds of trees and stuff. So I actually set my bow lower so that the cam is like about head height for me. Makes sense. So like I vary the height based on, on, uh, if I'm going up or downhill, uh, in the bush now in the tundra, uh, like you guys don't really have to worry about that.
2: That's good for future hunts though. To think about that.
0: Yeah. It's it's handy. The little guidelines or whatever there. I figured them out the hard way.
2: So maybe just two, two questions that might go hand in hand. One being what's the most common distance when shooting at animals, you know, hunting, and then this, speed of the arrow or weight of the arrow matter more
0: oh man good questions okay so let's do the distance one first you know i always find like i spend so much time um it was 2020 i had this fantastic year killed like I killed a couple booners, killed state record bison, state record, world record blacktail. Like it was a freaking incredible year. And I, I spent all my time in my backyard shooting 90, yards, and all of my shots were like 25 and
1: under. And,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, I shot my world record blacktail at 15 yards, I did shoot the bison at 45 but everything else was like really, really close. And, uh, it, that just, it just happens, you know, like as you're getting close, things happen and you get close. If I had to pick a yardage for me personally, that I could shoot everything at it'd be 50 yards when I'm stalking, not a stand it'd be 20, but when I'm stalking, 50 yards, because I feel like when I'm stalking and I get to 20 and I'm on the ground and they're on the ground, things get explosive really fast and it gets western and that's actually shoot worse at 20 when the animals freaked out and i'm freaked out we're both freaked out like i'm shooting bad at 20 yards when it's at 50 and he kind of looks up at me like oh what's that and i'm like he's gonna look at me for another 25 seconds i'm gonna take my time make a good shot here so i'd rather be calm at 50 than wired at 20 so i don't know common distance on caribou is definitely longer Definitely. And we should actually talk a little bit about stalking caribou. Maybe, maybe add that to your list because I've learned some things about that, that they have like some different weaknesses and different strengths than you would think. So, but, um, so caribou, I'm thinking like my average shots are probably more like 60 yards, 60 yards, but you know, ambushing caribou, anything can happen. You know, I, I had a caribou step on me, literally like I, his hoof. He didn't, he didn't step on me. Cause on it, to be completely honest, I chickened out and moved on purpose because he was going to, and I'm laying there and I see his foot like, a uh, like 12 inches from my head. And this was like a 390 inch bull that I was trying mm-hmm. to kill. It was freaking awesome.
2: And okay. I got like, taken the arrow it. and just stabbed it while you're I, Yeah. I finally like, I was
0: like, okay, I'm just gonna lay here, and then he like he's literally gonna and I chickened out and I like started moving a little bit so he could see me and he and and I I probably what I should have done is just sat up and drawn at 45 yards as he's walking toward me and he would have just stood there like a caribou and taken it like a man because caribou Mm -hmm. were put on this earth to be killed with bow and arrow so we could eat them. Like <laughs> that they're not that hard to kill, you know, but instead I let them get to the 12 inches. And, and I guess this goes back to that, that whole philosophy when it gets too close, it gets Western. And when I moved at 12 inches, that thing came out of its skin and ran out to hundred yards and I didn't have a shot. So anyway, anything can happen, but yeah, managing that. Like I made a big mistake there. Things walking toward me. At what point do you stop them? Like I needed to stop him at 45, 50 yards, just sit up. And he's going to be like, what's that? This camo thing just sat up out of the tundra. He's going to just look for a minute. Uh, not a minute, but long enough. I think usually. So anyway, um, next question was light or heavy. Wow. You guys want to open Pandora's box, huh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've heard this negotiated multiple times. Some people say a little bit heavier is going to do you better penetrate better. And yeah. to talk to some people and they're like, no, speed and, and light is, is going to weigh out the weight. So yeah. I don't so, know. It's, it's so both of
0: those things are true. Both of those things are true. And, and so the problem in, in these conversations is that, so there's, there's several different problems you need to solve for in archery. Okay. So you need to solve for yardage estimation. You need to solve for accuracy. You need to solve for penetration. You need to solve for trauma, like the cutting ability of your broadhead. You need to solve for all these different things. I'm not, I'm not saying every single pro- problem, but this issue you brought up, like those are the things you're solving for. You want penetration, but you also want accuracy. You want, you want tons of trauma, but you also want accuracy. And so it is true that a heavy arrow is going to penetrate better. So why not shoot a 3000 grain arrow? right? Well, I mean, the thing is going to be dropping like at 20 yards, it'll drop. I don't even know. Right. At some point you, you like get diminishing returns. And so my personal setup, I lean more towards speed and less toward weight. And I vary the size of my broadhead to make sure that my penetration is, is in the right place. I shoot a 410 grain arrow and it travels 300 feet per second. And I actually have 17% FOC on that arrow. I shoot an extremely lightweight shaft with 163 grains up front, but still it's only 410 grains. So I like FOC. I like weight. I like penetration, but I also like speed because if you're shooting a slow arrow, like these guys are talking like six, 700 grain arrows with these, these two blade broadheads, Like, guys, just to be frank, since I'm the one expressing my opinions today, that is complete garbage. It's complete BS. That is not how you kill something. You don't cut a little two-blade slit of a hole, and you don't have an arrow that shoots a rainbow arc that if the animal takes two steps, you're now making a bad shot. That's not how you kill something. You kill something with a fast arrow that penetrates well and causes a lot of trauma. So that's, I mean, my opinion is an arrow over 400 grains but not much over 450 so between 400 and 450 and shooting a broadhead that's properly sized for an animal we already talked about that and what that's going to do is going to get you a speed in the 290s anything in the 290s is great if it's a little over 300 that's great once you get into the 280s I mean for me that's too slow I want a flat shooting arrows so that that animals at, you know I range that animal at 56 yards while it's walking And then I have to draw my bow and everything else. And now it's taking, taking several steps. Like now I'm shooting for where I ranged or, or maybe I'm adjusting a little bit, but you're never going to be perfect. And you need a flat shooting arrow to make sure you're hitting it in the vitals. If I'm shooting a 650 grain arrow, I'm at a huge disadvantage there. And I, I very likely will wound that animal when he's moving. And I'm, and I'm trying to like get everything together. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to shoot at him walking, but like I might draw and then grunt or something and stop him. But the distance he's moved between where I ranged and where I drew and where I stopped him, like it's like he he might have moved six, seven yards. Now I might adjust a little bit over that, but how much do I adjust? And can I do that perfectly? Of course I can't. So I want a flat shooting arrow. Period. Now I like the FOC and the wind. I think that helps. I have a really, you know, I have a 28 and a half inch draw. And my arrows cut really short and I'm shooting 72 pounds and I'm still able to pull off a 340 uh, 340 spine and I'm shooting an airstrike, gold tip airstrike. So that thing is like 7.8 grains per inch. So my shaft is extremely light. So I get all that weight up front and still stay, you know, just over 400 grains. I think it's a great setup. That's a lot of info. I have a lot of opinions on that. I don't know. Do you, what do you guys think? What do, is that sound right? Or you guys disagree?
2: No, I mean, I mean, when you explain it in the fact of, you know, where you're ranging, if they're moving and this and that, you know, right now I think both of our bows are shooting really flat, you know, yep. from 30 to 60 yards. There's not a huge adjustment there as far oh. as where we're aiming, which is nice. Do you know the speed by chance? The speed on it? I've, I've got a 29 and a half inch draw with a 70 pound bow. Um, in a 340 shaft, so it's yeah, hundred grain broadhead, it's,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, you're screaming. Yeah, I'm shooting 125 grain broadhead with uh, with the insert gold tip insert system, so it comes out to 163 grains total in the front. So I'm sure you're screaming over 300 feet per second.
2: But they, they hustle and he, you know, we've even shot out the 90 yards and I was, you know, the first time we did it, I was ante- anticipating an angle on the arrow coming into the target that was pretty drastic, but I was surprised yeah. that, you yeah. know, it comes in very straight and I'm like, man, yeah. that's impressive. 90 yards, you know, that angle coming in is actually pretty nice. You know, you're not yeah. worried about having to compensate for that angle when it hits the animal. So.
0: Yeah. But. Yeah. I found the arrows, um, tend to fly pretty level generally and and as they drop they're kind of dropping level so you know there definitely is an arc but um well cool that sounds like a great setup to me with that that inch and three eighths mechanical like you're gonna you're gonna slam
2: just Mm -hmm. gotta make it happen i can't be shaking too hard when i see one walk out (laughs) yeah
0: hey so let's talk a little about stalking that came up so believe it or not bedded caribou i have had a really hard time stalking them like when they're bedded, like I was, I was hunting these five bulls that, and there were two giants in the group and I actually ended up killing one of them. It's uh, currently number three in the world for central barren ground. He is a freaking giant. And he's the, this is cool. He's the number one bull ever killed at a Nunavut with any weapon, including Boone and Crockett rifles, everything. He's the biggest bull ever killed out a Nunavut. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, but I was, I was stalking these five bulls for like two days and they and I kept trying to stalk them when they were bedded, and I was having they would bed and they'd look every direction, and I think they knew something was on them too, right? Like I, after the first stalk, they knew they were being hunted, but they were so good at spotting me crawling in. You know, I was using boulders. I mean, there were no trees, but I was using boulders. I was using terrain, and as soon as they caught a glimpse of my back crawling through that grass or whatever, they were up, and I was pretty dang surprised. Now, on the other hand. I would see them feeding across the tundra and I would go low and use some terrain and crawl in spots and whatever. And while they're feeding, they were very stockable. And so what I would do is I would angle with them. So if they're feeding to the north, let's say, I would angle in like uh, from like a northwest angle or whatever, And like angle into them and sort of like come out a little bit in front of them and let them feed into me. So like an ambush, but sort of like from an angle. And I know if they would have been looking my direction, they would have definitely seen me. But they're like their noses, their face. It's in the tundra feeding. And you really can get away with a lot on a feeding herd of caribou. So I'd recommend your stocking, at least in my experience, when they're they're feeding, moving, get their direction, get an angle and kind of sneak in and kind of angle not like you don't want to end up like 500 yards in front of them, because then like maybe you can maybe you can adjust. I mean, that could work, especially if you have some terrain. But what I was doing is angling in like 150 yards in front of them. And then letting them finish that last little distance because at 500 yards now, like the odds of you being in the right spot go down because like their trajectory, any small difference can put them out of range, but at 150 yards, if they're heading in that general direction, they're very likely to pass within 80 yards of you.
1: Well, I'm glad you shared that with us because I watched a couple of videos of people going after caribou and seems like they're going way the heck in front of them and hoping that they, that the caribou will follow that line and that they run into them. That, That can
0: work guys. That can definitely work. But I've also found that if I angle through and use terrain and I'm smart and I crawl through the spots where they can see me, like when you crawl on all fours, you know, a couple hundred yards from a feeding group of caribou, I've had pretty good luck with that.
1: What color camel did you wear? I mean
0: I've I've worn I was using Verde for a long time and then I switched to to um
1: Valo Valo?
0: Valo. Yeah, it's just I was I couldn't get bias out of my head. To Velo. Yeah, I I I use Valo now. I, I can't remember. Probably half Verde, half Velo.
1: Okay. So I've always heard the
2: caribou are very curious. Did you run yeah. into that? Yeah, you can definitely,
0: definitely do that. Um like you know, when they when they see you, if you put your hands up in like an antler shape um, and, and raise you even raise your bow above your head and do different things. A lot of times they'll come in to check you out, to see what especially if they don't know they're being hunted. That can definitely happen. Um, like, you know, I've 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 uh, pulled on a white shirt real quick before. Like I had a white shirt in my pack and then they, they saw me and I pulled on the white shirt and, and I've had them come. I, I didn't really get a shot that way, but they, they came in from like 200 yards to 110 to see what was going on, you know, things like that. So maybe it could work a decoy. I, you know, they make some good ter- caribou decoys that are, that are uh, compact. They'll definitely get curious on that. Um, when are you guys, when are you guys going?
2: September 1st, we're going to be up there till, till the 10th, I think ninth okay. or 10th.
0: Okay. So they won't be running yet.
2: So I was curious.
0: I I might get them thinking about it a little bit. I don't. Yeah. What were you going to ask?
2: I was curious. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but they're kind of those stocking decoys that go on the front of your bow. Have you ever used one of those?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the other, the other host of the Hoyt podcast is, is Danny Ferris and he owns that company. Oh, really? Yeah, and I have used those and they're really cool. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know that stalking behind it is the right idea, but definitely shooting with it on as you pop up, you got a caribou feeding by at 40 yards, right? And you're laying down in the tundra, it doesn't see you. You gotta sit up and shoot. They might freak out. If you sit up with that decoy on your bow, your odds of getting that shot off are way, way higher way higher. That's going definitely you know, hold thing. them there for, you know, Absolutely. 10 seconds,
2: 20 seconds. Already.
0: And, you know, at some point when you're, when you're, you know, stalking in and you're hundred yards out and you're making that angle to intercept them and they see you showing that decoy at that point might be a good idea. And they might come check you out or they might ignore you. It's a great thing to have with you. Those decoys are fantastic.
2: Perfect. So in this instance, you're talking about these examples of what might happen. You know, say we are laying in the tundra. We're trying to get close to them, and we get our chance. Is it better to sit up on your knees or sit from your butt and shoot, or are you trying to stand fully up on your feet?
0: Yeah, so I like to stay low, but I do like to be on my knees. So I I I probably come to like that that knee position where your butt is still on the ground, but you're kind of on your knees, and that's how I get situated and get my release on, and and maybe I draw from there but I draw and then I come to my knees for that last few seconds to shoot. I don't wanna shoot off my butt. I'm not gonna be accurate shooting off my butt. And some guys might not even be able to draw their bow from their butt. If you haven't tried that sitting flat on your butt and drawing your bow, you should try it. It it is a little harder. And and when the adrenaline's pumping, I've seen guys literally not be able to draw their bow on an animal because of the adrenaline. It's insane, Like, like freaking strong guys. (laughs) they're shaking so bad. They can't draw their bow. It's, it's, it's weird. Everybody reacts differently. I I feel like I, I draw my bow more easily in those situations.
2: Like it, it just, nothing. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: But everybody's different, you know,
2: that's good to know. I'm going to have to sit down on my butt and try to pull my bow back. I know I've shot off my knees a fair amount, but I don't know if I've ever sat flat, you know, and then then try shooting
0: a nice group at 60 yards off your butt too. And, And also mind your cam at the same time you doesn't hit the ground because that like while you're aiming, you can easily forget about your cam while you're sitting in your butt and it hits the ground. Like I would get to my knees to shoot for yeah, sure. But no, for don't sure. stand up. I wouldn't stand up. Knees. It's the way to go there.
1: Yeah. We practice more on our knees, I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, we, we've been practicing, but probably wouldn't hurt to spend a lot more time trying it yeah. out. Um, what this one what's the best way or sorry what's the best way to keep a cape from decaying when you still have days to be out hunting Not so salt. say i shot one first yeah. and then over yeah. three days later definitely salt
0: so you're gonna need i mean depending on how long you're gonna be out like if if you're hunt, how long are you guys gonna be hunting
2: like like five days
0: five, five six days, days. yeah Ultimately, you should like turn the lips and ears, and like, uh, and you can watch. I'm sure you can watch YouTube videos on that and put salt on it. But if it's just a few days, like just just turning the cape and and maybe you don't have to like fully turn the lips and ears, but get get salt on that cape and the and the way that and you should watch some YouTube. I'm sure there's YouTube videos on it. I've never I've never looked because I've just seen over the years. I've learned how to do it in camp, but you know you're gonna that first coat of salt you put on, it's just going to just get really goopy and whatever. And then you can shake it off after a day and then put another coat on it. It's going to, it's ultimately it's going to suck the moisture out of the hide and, and that will preserve it. Um, the other thing you can do is get it in a freezer. You know, if you're, if you are, if you shoot one and you're still like a couple hours from town, you can just run it back and get it in a freezer somewhere. Then you don't have to worry about it.
2: Sure. How much salt would you, would you assume it would take the salt properly a Cape? You know, so if we go out there and we yeah. land into your banks before we get a truck, you know, and take off, you know, we yeah. can run the store pick up salt. How much would you assume?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, salt, salt's cheap and you got a truck. So, I mean, you could grab a 10, 20 pound bag of salt and be fine. You know, a lot of it depends on like how much you put on and how liberal you're being. I mean, if you put on quite a bit, it's going to, soak up more and if you want to be able to like shake off that wet stuff and put on some newer dry stuff and you you want to rub it into the hide and stuff when you're on that on those get it to penetrate and so, and when you skin if there's like a bunch of flesh it, it's not yeah. going to work there so you need to do a clean skinning job as much as you can and that's the idea of even turning the lips and ears, especially the lips, is you're getting all that fat and meat off of there so that you're getting actually to the hide. And then that salt penetrates the hide and pulls the moisture out. And then the ears, of course, you just can't like, you need to, to split that ear to be able to get to the skin because the skin, you know, the inside of the hide is covered in this case of an ear by both sides, right? So you have to split it in two so you can get to that raw hide. To get in in the salt in there, but I think if you just mainly like even around the lips and stuff, if you just cut off a lot of the excess flesh and, and make sure the hide's fleshed out well, you it's only five days. You're gonna you'll, you'll be fine.
2: It Should be fairly cool. I would assume up there. That, at that too. Time. That too. So mm-hmm. what's uh so out of your experience of hunting caribou and bringing caribou back with you, I would assume you've hauled them back on planes and stuff. What's the best way to bring the rack back? On a plane with you, or you having to split the head or yeah detach what are you done
0: um i I've never split a skull uh just because I score everything, so that's the like, if you kill a giant, you want to enter it in Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett or whatever then you can't split the skull um I have had pretty good luck talking my way onto airlines with with uh with racks what I do uh is typically I'll take pieces of cardboard and fold the cardboard around each point and then tape that folded cardboard on. So it gives it a little bit of uh, like a stability. And then I take uh, that, what is that, r- plastic wrap? It's like Saran wrap, but people furniture. put it around like furniture and stuff. I take that stuff and I wrap the entire rack in that mm-hmm. with you know cardboard around the point. So then it turns out to be like this cardboard protected wrapped up uh, head. And I usually I'm, I'm usually the skull is there a lot of times I'll cut the skull plate off, but I'm very generous with the amount of skull I leave because I don't want that thing to split. If you Mm -hmm. leave the whole skull skull and just cut the bottom jaw off and get the brains out and everything that, that, that can work great. If you have the ability to do that, but splitting the rack, if you're not going to score it, there's nothing wrong with splitting the rack. The taxidermist is just going to, you know, you can take a measurement if you want of the spread and the taxidermist will make it exactly how it was
2: back together
0: same thing though i would uh, if you split the rack i would protect the points and and wrap it up with that plastic
2: for sure for sure when you so when you're bringing a back like that are you putting a stick or anything in between the rack you know measuring natural width and then putting something between it so it can't collapse into it
0: yeah absolutely absolutely that's i'm glad you brought that up i always uh cut something and, and support it in there because if it gets smashed that's how the skull would break
2: for sure, for sure, good stuff. Have you, um, by chance? I mean, just throwing it out there. Have you flown Alaska with a caribou? Cause that's that too. would be flying with. I can't,
0: I can't remember. I usually fly Delta. I can't remember. I know I've flown, flown Alaska a lot. I, I I can't remember. Okay, but I think you could definitely call the airline and they could tell you how they ha- handle that.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Well, what's the best bow case for traveling on airplanes? So
0: what I actually do is I use a a wheeled duffel. Um, I'm probably not as careful with my bow as most people are. So, you know, a wheeled, a large wheeled duffel that has like, sort of like a few inches of hard side on the bottom. And I put my bow in the bottom of that and pack clothes around it. And on top of it, I do usually put it in a soft bow case, like the one that comes with the Redwork series. Uh, It comes with that those black soft. I put it in that soft bow case put it in the bottom of a huge duffel, and then I pack clothes around it. So I do not use a bow case travel. Because to me, that's an extra bag. And I want to travel with two bags, not three, I can't, if I take a bow case depends on the hunt, but it could be hard to fit all my gear in one bag.
1: So, so you get the one that's kind of soft on top. It's kind of hard on around the sides and then yeah. soft on top. And then you just pack your clothes all around it. Yeah. yeah. And it's more oh, of a yeah. duffel than it is anything else.
0: Yeah. Look up like wheeled duffel. Yeah. And it'll have a hard bottom and usually a little bit of hard on, on the sides. It's
2: good to know. We've we've been uh we've been negotiating that back and forth of what we should do, you know, making yeah. sure it gets up there safely. And
0: yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've used the sport tube a little bit. Um, have you guys seen those? They like collapse and expand that you can put skis in them or you can put guns in them, you can put whatever, and you can pack a lot of gear in them. The problem with those freaking sport tubes is you pack your bow in there and you what, sometimes I'll throw a rifle in there and a bunch of clothes and whatever, and optics, and then it goes through security and they open that sucker up and it's just like, they, I don't know how to I, it, it, like all this stuff comes out and they have no idea how to repack it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a mess. Like I've gotten it back a complete mess.
1: Oh geez, that'd
2: be that'd be frustrating, especially when you're going on your hunt, have all your stuff messed with and scrambled back in your bag. Um, so one of the other questions we have, what's a good base layer? Like when you're going up to a place like Alaska, where you're going to have humidity and potentially a lot of rain. What's a good base layer that's going to keep you warm but not be super heavy or overheat if you're hiking?
0: Yeah, you know, I go back and forth between lightweight merino and uh like synthetic base layers on i just went on a sheep hunt a couple weeks ago and i took uh the gila you guys seen the gila it's like a it's kind of like those sims fishing hoodies where it's more of like an spf like they're really really lightweight um and so kuyu came out with like a basically like a traditional like fly fishing shirt but for hunting And, and it's that was awesome on that hunt is it was hot a lot of times. And, and, you know, it was always dry really, really fast, but that's backpacking. I think that I prefer Merino because Merino never stinks. Like I will wear Merino for like 10 days on a backpack hunt. And honestly, like I, maybe I'm just like used to my smell at that point, but like, I don't feel like it really stinks that bad, but you wear a synthetic, on that same 10 day hunt and like that thing is rancid so that's one reason i really like merino but i do like the fast drying of the synthetics on the hunt you guys are going on with a truck and a base camp ability and where you're not like going i would do i would do a lightweight merino yeah i find it more comfortable yeah but on a backpack hunt a lot of times i've gone synthetic lately really really thin light synthetic like the gila
1: good to know What is the best food to eat while hunting hard?
0: Well, I love, I personally love rice and chicken. Like that's what I, that's what I eat every day right now. I I eat rice and chicken, like two meals a day. I I train (laughs) jujitsu every day and I weight lift four days a week. I I train so freaking hard and I need energy constantly. And for some reason, I'm, this is personal, but white rice and a protein gives me fuel like nothing else. And once I start eating like noodles and bread, I don't feel that good. They're both carbs, but to me, not all carbs are created equal but <laughs> that, that, that's really personal. I love just rice and protein. just makes me feel great.
1: Do you ever buy those uh what are they call mountain houses or anything like that? Do you go with those? Yeah,
0: yeah, in fact, um absolutely. I just tried a um a new version of those this this last trip, and they were freaking amazing. Let me get the name of it here real quick. We'll we'll edit this real quick. I'll, I'll have Evan them edit this part because I want to get the name right. Um, <laughs> oh, let me see here. What Was that? Uh, dang it! Um, this stuff was so freaking good. It's a brand new brand. Um, and what I liked is that the packaging
2: was tiny, so it's not like a Mountain House brand. Then
0: it's it's a it's a competitor. Okay, and it was like it's worth it's worth telling you guys. Cause it was so good. Can you get that guy shields or Wa- wildlife society? I think is wild society. Okay. Okay. They, it was pretty awesome because they weighed way less than anything I've ever used. The packaging was really small and the food was fantastic. I ordered them online. They, they came to my front door and uh, it was the best experience I've had. Cause they were so small. Like a lot of these, Mountain house type meals—they're in these giant bags, and they're—it's all heavy, and like you end up needing this really long spoon to even reach the stuff on the bottom, and there's just no reason for that. I would repackage those a lot myself. Like before my hunt, I dump them all out into Ziploc bags and not take those giant Mylar bags. But this uh Wild Society—I would—I'd give them a shot. They're really good, and, and chicken and rice—they have chicken and rice. You know how I feel about that.
2: <laughs> hey, not to give it a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Um. I think one of our, one of our last questions are, um, what type of tent do you use for kind of the environment of Alaska? Like, you know, what are you looking for when you're using it? What brands are you using? Um, yeah, that's, I'm pretty
0: passionate about tents. Um, I've used what I call a single wall floorless shelter for, I started using them in 2004 so almost 20, 19 years, I've used these. And people look at them and they think like you're crazy. and they just don't understand how amazing they are. Basically, it's the type of type of structure you like pitch with with um, your trekking poles. And then you know, it's like a TP style, but usually it has two points. you know, TP has like one and they're usually like two two poles. And I, I normally will actually carry a light, lightweight poles to pitch them. And just use my trekking poles. because I love having trekking poles, especially if I have a pack on. But those type of shelters are extremely light. And for the weight, you get a lot of floor space inside. So like I used for years, I used a black diamond beta mid. And that was a real, that was a good shelter. But then Kuyu came out with several years ago, they came out with their own single wall floorless shelters. They have a three person. I think that's called the summit refuge three P. Um, like the two of you would fit in. there, great. And all of your gear, they're massive. And the thing weighs like two and a half pounds between two guys.
1: So have you like with the, with the florist uh, tents, does the water come in underneath somehow? That's a great question. And it
0: absolutely does not. And so like, I mean, obviously if you pitch in a bad spot where water can pool, then that would be the case. But you pitch, you know, in a, in a spot where you're going to have generally dry ground, there's not gonna be water coming out of the ground. And the shelter is so big that it keeps the rain far away from you. Yeah. The rain's going to drip down on the side of the shelter, but that's like three feet away from you. You know, it's, it, there's just so much space inside you stay drier in these tents in 19 years of hunting in the North. I have never once gotten wet in those shelters. And I've had friends with normal tents get soaked because they start leaking and then the water starts pulling up on the floor and everything gets wet. And Mm -hmm. so I use these things actually for 16 of the 19 years with no floor at all. I would just bring a little piece of Tyvek that was the size of my pad, just so my pad wouldn't get holes. That was the only reason I used it just to protect my pad against something on the ground. But a few years ago, I started using the 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 mesh like the bug netting with the bathtub floor that kuyu sells with those tents and it's like an optional accessory and i actually do like that quite a bit i like having the floor i like having it where it keeps my gear kind of more together and the mesh the one thing about like any any shelter will get condensation on the inside so that's why two wall tents have an outer Rainfly and an intersection because the rain fly is going to have a ton of condensation on it anytime you have a warm uh side some, something warm on one side and something cold on the other it's going to form condensation just like a glass of cold water on a hot day so that condensation will drip into that mesh on the two wall tent, and then it dissolves on that mesh. So when I was using the single wall floorless shelter with no mesh interior, I would occasionally get drops of condensation like hitting me or my sleeping bag. It's pretty minor, it was never enough to get you wet, but it, you, you'd see a drop at your sleeping bag and then it would like, evaporate right i mean it's not like enough it's not like it's raining inside it's just an occasional drop but you know you might be sleeping one night and you feel a drop hit your face and it kind of like wakes you up for a second so when i started using that mesh interior well now that the condensation drips into the mesh just like on a standard you know two-wall tent and it evaporates on the mesh and it never hits you so that is i think a very nice addition i would strongly recommend using the single wall floorless shelter with the mesh a uh, bug and floor protection inside. But you guys would you guys would like that there's a lot of room in those. For two guys in that three person tent, it's great or one guy, you each get your own a summit star one piece that's what i use because i don't like sharing tents with people um i get the summit <laughs> star one p and then i have massive amount of room for myself and all my gear has a huge vegetable for my boots my pack my bow everything and then inside there's more room than you could have. like literally you could sleep two guys in that if you had to but you know for one guy the thing weighs a pound and a half like for that you carry your own tent
2: yeah for sure for sure Now it's good to know good to hear um, this is probably going to be a great question for you. I don't, I, we didn't have it you know, outlined, but how do you score caribou? Like if, we, if we're watching caribou come in and we're looking at them, say there's five, 10 bulls, whatever coming through, yeah. how do we pick the best one that's going to score the best, look the best, whatever.
0: Yeah. Great, great question. So, you know, on caribou for score tops are more important than bottoms. So that's well except for the shovel we'll get to that but like bezes like giant bezes now for wall appeal giant bezes look amazing like i love freaking wide long bezes with tons of points they look absolutely beautiful so that you know that's just preference but when you're talking score all you get on the bez is the length of the bez and you get One inch per point. So most bezes will be like, you know, say a nice bez is like 20 inches long and it's going to have four points on it. So you get uh, 24 scoring points out of that bez. And so between the two, you get 48. And that would be pretty nice bez. Now there's a lot of 16 inch bezes too with two points. So there's not that much there. But when you look at the tops, you get the length of the longest two points on each side. And so a lot of times those two points are, you know, 15 to 20 inches each. So let's say they're 15, we're getting 30 per side. So 60 inches out of the top points, plus you get the width of the beam on the top as well. Plus you get the number of points on the top one inch per point. You don't get to measure all the points. You only get to measure the longest two, but you get one inch per point generally so a lot of score comes out of the top you want to make sure if you're really concerned about score you want to make sure they have two long top points on each side because if they have two on one side and one on the other you basically only have one point because when you net it out you don't get unless it's symmetrical you don't get those two points now shovels are an amazing thing for scoring because shovel they do no deductions so if it has a double shovel that is just pure score. That second shovel is pure score. If it has one shovel, you get the length and width of the shovel and you count the points, which is great. But if you have another shovel, you get that again. There's no deductions for having one or two regardless. So if I have one shovel that like, let's say I have a shovel. That's, I mean, a 15 inch long shovel that's 15 inches tall and has Eight points. That's fifteen plus fifteen is thirty plus eight. That's a thirty-eight inches out of a single shovel. And I have two of those. I got thirty-eight inches out of both of those. So uh, double shovels do more for your score than anything. Long top points, double shovels. If you want a high-scoring caribou, that's where you're after. Two long top points on each side and double shovels, and he's going to be a scoring machine. Back points are nice too, the back scratchers, because you know they could be five inches long, and that's just a bonus. Ten inches, boom, out of nowhere. So that bull I killed in Nunavut, the really high scoring bull, like when the outfitter saw him, I showed the outfitter video and he's like, that bull's not as big as you think. I'm like, dude, that bull's over 400, trust me. He's like, I'm like, look at this, 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 and this. He didn't look giant, but he had everything. He had two giant long top points on each side. He had six, seven inch back scratchers. He had really great double shovels. Like he wasn't a monster frame. Like he didn't have like 60 inch main beams or something. You know, he had, I can't remember 52 inch main beams, but he had everything and that everything came together to create a 400 inch central barren ground caribou Now, a book on central ground grounds, only 360. So he was a freaking giant. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's yeah. If you if you care about score, that's how you get there.
2: Makes me stoked. I man. Can't yeah. help <laughs>
1: I'll
0: tell you what, if you love antlers, caribou, I have more antlers. I mean, they're so fun to hunt because their antlers are incredible. If you like antlers, you'll love caribou. And they're so unique. Like, everyone is so different. Like, they're just, and the way you put them together, like, you could have, like, there's so much to talk about you know, like, oh, well, his bezes are huge and they have all these points, but he only has one shovel, but look at his top points. Oh, but he's the, the one top point only is kind of medium sized on that one side, but he's got back scratchers and he like going into this whole, like scoring caribou is actually very, very fun because they have so many characteristics to weigh out.
1: So, well, sorry, one more time. Just to remind me, the first thing you look for is what on antlers? The, 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 the length of the top points, two long top points on each side,
0: and then your- double shovels if you care about score look for those two things
2: yeah sweet yeah sweet sweet
0: and and you gotta look at frame size too because anytime you have like age is always important like you might have a young bull that looks like he has two long top points and looks like he has two shovels and he does but because he's a miniature version they're just not going to do that well you need that c-shaped main beam and the body on a mature bull like pay attention like you will see a massive difference in like a 10 year old caribou like they just like they are tanks tank of a body and you know the younger five six year old caribou caribou are older than like deer they, like your, your prime deer is like five to seven. Your caribou is going to be older. Not that the age matters, but look for that big, mature. It only matters in the sense that you're looking for a mature body. Like look for that giant mature body bull with that C-shaped main beam. And those points, they're going to grow on you when it hits the ground. Yeah. Oh, stoked. Getting I've stoked, stoked,
2: huh? <laughs> I've been stoked for a while now, but now it's kind of becoming a little bit more real that it's getting close and yeah, can't wait.
0: Well, is that, is that about, is that about it on the questions?
2: I think the only other one that I might have, and it's just kind of a random one out of the blue is, um, so I've talked to a couple of guys that toned up there. Occasionally they run into grizzlies. What is your advice when you run into a grizzly? You know, what's something good to have with you, you know, maybe to do, maybe to avoid. I mean, nothing beats a
0: rifle. Like, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) my brother did pepper spray a grizzly in the face and it worked. It was a, a sow that got all fired up and ran at him and he got the pepper spray out just at the right he had a rifle and it was he was on a quad coming out of a goat hunt and the, the rifle was packed underneath uh the packs with ratchet straps down mm-hmm. on the quad and this this grizzly charged them as they were crossing this deactivated road like culvert pull but anyway the the grizz like was coming at him, they're trying to get the rifle up. They couldn't. And then he re- remembered he had some pepper spray and he pulled it out of his pocket right as the grizzly got there and he shot it in the face and the thing took off. So like that worked. Um and you know it avoided him having to shoot the thing and deal with that whole problem, you know, because you know reporting it or whatever, it's always, you know, that wouldn't be fun. So um I don't know like if you guys I like if it's me, like I'm carrying a rifle in Grizzly Country and just get a lightweight rifle and and have it on your pack. I know you guys are in a bow hunting only zone. I I don't know like how that works. I think it's, it's probably fine. You're just carrying bear protection and you can rifle hunt past five miles. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll be, we'll be with five people total. The other three guys are going to go chasing with, with rifles. Oh, they're going to hike out. Yeah. So they're going to hike out and then we'll be, we'll be, we might hike out with them and hunt, you know, focusing on the bow. Yeah. There's kind of a river uh, is is kind of our destination that we might hike out. We we might end even shooting a caribou outside that five mile with the bow just yeah. to get yeah why not different region different place
0: yeah I I would carry a rifle personally yeah. do you yeah. carry a handgun mm-hmm. oh yeah we're in Alaska so yeah you could do that I have a you know that Scandium 44 mag um, really lightweight 44 mag but I've I've been like in and I do carry that in Alaska. Um, in Canada, you know, no handguns, right? So I'm used to the rifle, and I hunt in Canada a lot. But you know, when when, when you're in a situation with a grizzly, and you look down at your 44 mag, you feel like you got a squirt gun. <laughs> <laughs> like you want your 300 Win mag so badly. There's just a huge difference. I mean, you know, that I think you know if you're hunting with buddies, like you know, maybe one guy has a rifle and one guy has a handgun and you, you, you're, you're fine. Right. As long as there's a rifle around, like not everybody needs a rifle and the handguns are obviously better than nothing, but th- that's a big, powerful animal. And
2: faster than the guy you're with. Right. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah,
0: There you go. I mean, that's, that's the old thing. Right. I'm just I've, kidding. Never, I've never tested that, but I don't think, I think that, um, Can't run that all, fast running from a bear, like, you know, facing them and making a lot of noise and holding your ground is what
2: you want to do. It's the best. Yeah. For yeah. sure. But no, for sure. Well guys, this
0: has gotten me, me pumped up to hunt caribou. I still, I, I, I still have some left to do. So I'm I'm excited. I can't wait. I have, I have a, I have one booked for next year. Pretty excited about it. So. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> well, if uh, you want to go with us next year, we might go back to the hall road again. <laughs> so, you know,
0: I want to do that. And I, I do need a, a bigger bearing ground. So that, let me know what you guys see. Tell me if you see yeah. any monsters.
1: Yeah, definitely. Reach I, out. I've
2: been told there's some pretty big ones up there. That's kind of why we might look at hiking into the river. It's, you know, it's like eight or nine miles off the road. So it's a little bit of a hike out there, but I've been told there's bigger ones out by the supposable river. I've never been there. Never seen yeah. it. So we're yeah, going to come down,
0: download down. maps guys, download download uh maps to your phone before you go out there like how all your topo maps and aerial imagery it makes a big difference to know like as you're hiking you don't want to hike blind you want to know exactly where you're going you want to know what's in front of you you know and where the river is you want to you want to have all this information from an aerial view and you're not going to have cell phone coverage so you need to download everything beforehand
2: are you using like scout to hunt or like onyx or different things like that yeah, you- i mean i've used Onyx. I've been
0: I've been playing with Spartan Forge lately. I've used um, Fat Maps, which is pretty cool. It's but it's a ton of data you have to download. Like it's unbelievable amount of data. Um, but you know any of those work. Okay. I use Gaia GPS for many years. That's where most of my waypoints are on Gaia. I need to get them get them out of there. I have like twenty years of waypoints on there. But mm. so what did you said it was Spartan? You Spartan, Spartan Forge is really cool. Yeah, you know.
2: we'll have to look into some of those because i have mean, i've you've been around some of the other maps but not that one so
0: yeah yeah they have good 3d and good uh aerial imagery and then coming together the aerial aerial 3d is amazing like like you can you know i mean i've looked at i've glassed up an animal across the valley and then i look on aerial 3d i'm like oh yeah there's the tree he's under well,
2: that's pretty cool yeah it's freaking point it like that yeah
0: yeah so anyway well guys this has been really fun uh i i I talked a lot today normally i'm the host and not Talking quite as much, but no, I, <laughs> I,
2: I hope, I hope we've been like sponges. I we've loved it. Yeah. I think it's been super awesome for us to be able to hear what you have, advice wise, and everything.
1: So it's been great. I'm, well, I'm pretty sure once we get out there, we're gonna be like, oh, I wish we would ask this question. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we well, take it to... do a recap meeting when we get
2: back, so we can learn all the things we messed up on. So. Hey, actually, we should do a recap, and I'll ask the questions. Hey, okay, that'd be fun. That'd yeah. be really. Fun. All right, guys. Well, thanks. That was fun. Good luck on your hunt. Thank you, we appreciate your time, it's been awesome. Catch you later. Have a good one.